presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us today. CSI has just recently published an expansive crime report titled The Fight Against Crime in Colorado, Policing, Legislation, and Incarceration. The report reveals some disturbing trends associated with our public safety system, including rising crime rates, decreasing prison population during that rising crime rates, a growing negative impact on a result of crime. With us today, to give all the details of his report is former police chief of Denver, Paul Payson, who has joined CSI as our public safety fellow. Paul is the former chief of police in Denver, where he rose through the ranks of the department up to the, his appointment as chief in 2018. During his tenure as police chief, Paul Payson led the creation and expansion of innovative solutions to address complex public safety issues. Paul, thank you for joining us today. Earl, uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Uh, I know we'll get into the report a little bit more here, but uh, as you're talking about the title, uh, The Fight Against Crime, uh, if, if this is uh, a prize fight, we're, we're losing. We're down on the scorecard, and uh, now's the time to bring awareness to these issues so we can uh, come back and uh, really help uh, the state of Colorado, the people of Colorado, both uh, for their public safety and the economic vibrancy of this amazing state. Well, you know, it's like any prize fight. It's 10 rounds or whatever. And uh, we may be down on the scorecard, but uh, I have a sense during this conversation, you're also going to say, how do we get that scorecard turned around? And uh, that's what I hope we can focus on here besides saying, hey, how do we get where we are? So maybe we can start on that. You released your uh, first report as CSI's public safety fellow on June 2nd, uh, which looked at many components and benefits of an effective public policy system. To start us off, can you share with us how your public safety system has fared in recent years, how our public safety system has fared in recent years, and why was there a need for this report? Well, uh, again, thank you. I couldn't be more honored to be a, a fellow with the Common Sense Institute. I think uh, Common Sense Institute has really served as a, a voice of reason in, in pointing out some of the challenges that we're facing in this uh, beloved state of ours. Um, and, and public safety is, is one of those major concerns, and it should be. Uh, really, uh, oftentimes we uh, think of, of safety or crime as a police issue and exclusively uh, a police issue. The police have a, a major role in this, but the criminal justice system is just that, a system. And we need to make sure that we're looking at all components of the criminal justice system to ensure that they are working at their best levels. Uh, that is what uh, can give us the greatest level of success. So you have to look at the laws, and these are the laws that uh, the state legislature and governor have signed and enacted. You know, we, we took a look. 42 laws uh, during this time period, 2010 to 2022, that uh, have severely impacted the ability to keep people safe. You have to look at law enforcement and the support of law enforcement. You have to look at uh, the 
budget impacts of having uh, enough officers, how you support that in order to address crime, both in a reactive and proactive preventative uh, approach. And then uh, an area that uh, deserves more study and that, that uh, we have some preliminary data on is the follow-up. What happens after the police officers uh, locate, arrest, solve crime? Uh, are the prosecutors doing their job? Uh, are the courts doing their job? The prison parole system, is it adequately supporting folks to reduce recidivism or preventing that reoffending? Because if they're successful, it's a good thing for all of us in Colorado, fewer victims and uh, fewer people impacted by the criminal justice system. But uh, really, you know, this report serves as a foundation to look at all of those systems and not just say, well, it's exclusively one component and uh, that's the problem. It sounds to me, Paul, that you're chief, I'm sorry, chief, that that you were talking about a war, well-coordinated effort within our public safety arena, of which the police are a part of that. But you mentioned judicial system and you mentioned the district attorney. Uh, it sounds like there's an opportunity in, 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 for, for us to do a better job. And I want to give you a chance to highlight what you think uh, was perhaps the most important things that you found in the report and where the opportunities might exist where we can maybe improve uh, our public safety. Well, uh, again, uh, we're comparing state versus state. If you're looking at Colorado versus the rest of the country, we are doing very poorly. And this is a crime rate, crime rate per 100,000 residents. Oftentimes, folks aren't paying attention to this, and they just assume that uh, a state that's growing in population, that crime is just going up because there's more people coming here. This accounts for the growth in population, and it is based on a rate per 100,000 residents. This is how you could compare California, New York, Florida to some of the smaller states like Wyoming, Delaware, or New Mexico. Uh, it's per 100,000 people. And uh, Colorado uh, used to be one of the safer states in the country, and now we are uh, the fourth highest crime rate in the country. Only three states are doing it worse than we are. And that's why we have to look at the forest through the trees to say what is working and what's not working. And when you have uh, 42 pieces of legislation, many of which that tip the scales of justice more in favor of the individuals committing crime than the victims of crime, we also we have to say what is going on, what's working, and what's not working. Uh, the report, or one of the, the, the bottom lines is, you know, we have this uh, dramatic increase in, in people that are being victimized by crime, number one in auto theft, number two in property crime, number four in total crime. Those are all people. Those are all victims of crime. But is also having a, a significant economic impact. There uh, is a way to identify the costs of crime. So this is response, investigation, prosecution, incarceration, uh, medical costs, uh, loss of productivity, things of that nature. And last year, the costs of crime in Colorado were $30 billion, B uh, billion, uh, $30 billion. Hold on a second, $30 billion as a cost of crime and our state budget, I believe is like 37 or 38 billion. So you're telling me in one year's time, 
we have about two thirds of our state, but what something equivalent two thirds of our state budget is the cost of crime to our state. Equivalent. That, yeah. that seems outrageously high. Uh, do you have any thoughts or comments about how we could bring that down or what could be done to hopefully get it under better control? Uh, well, first, let me give credit uh, to, to Dr. Byers and the economist uh, that is part of the CSI team. But uh, this is a, a study, the National Institute of Health had a, a, a study uh, by McAllister that studied the direct and indirect costs. So for every murder, for every auto theft and every crime in between, you can identify the direct and indirect costs. And so the, the increase in crime that we're facing, if you put a dollar amount to that, it is equivalent to $30 billion. Uh, so this is uh, something that uh, impacts all of us, right? Uh, many of our listeners, they might not have been directly impacted by crime itself. Maybe they haven't had a car stolen. Maybe they haven't been the victim of a, of a property crime, a robbery, a burglary, or any uh, severe crime. But uh, it is impacting every person in our community. Uh, when, when we talk about uh, inflation, this is crimeflation. Our uh, insurance rates, if we're number one in the country for auto theft, there's a cost associated to that, and those costs are passed on to the people of, of Colorado. So there is a, a way to do this. There is a way to reduce crime in a fair and just way, to even reduce prison population in a fair and just way by preventing the crime in the first place. But uh, what what uh, this report points out is we got a lot of work to do, and, and the first uh, step is identifying that we have significant issues, and now is the time to come together to try to get these addressed. Well, the, one of the things in the report that uh, that uh, I thought was interesting, and I found myself wondering how come, had to do with the tale of two cities, as uh, referred to it here. It looks at the different approaches and outcomes in policing between Denver and Colorado Springs, 40 miles to the south. Chief, can you speak to what these different approaches, the different approaches that the various departments had and uh, what were the outcomes for the different approaches they had with regards to funding the departments as well as staffing them? Well, uh, really, uh, the two largest cities in, in Colorado, I think that this is a great uh, compare contrast to see what's happening in Denver versus what's happening in Colorado Springs. Now, uh, I don't want there to be any distraction. Crime in Colorado, the entire state, is up about 32% from 2010 to 2022. So that's across the board, big cities and, and small towns and everywhere in between. Colorado Springs seems to be doing better than most jurisdictions. And it's really important to take a look at what they're doing to see if there are things that we can learn from. Now, uh, you brought up the budget. Uh, Colorado Springs consistently has maintained their police department as their top line budget, right? And this speaks to attitudes and approaches. Uh, public safety is foundational. Uh, people will not go visit parks or recreation areas, amenities, if they don't feel safe. And, uh, during that time period, Colorado Springs has uh, has, has allocated uh, the top line, the, the most significant portion of their city's general fund towards 
the police department in order to keep their community safe. Uh, in Denver, that's third or fourth, uh, depending on, on how you look at it. And that number has actually gone down. A number of uniformed officers has gone down during that relative time period per resident where in, the Colorado, in Colorado Springs, it has increased. So that's an important uh, distinction. And really uh, what the report is finding, a lot of the, the preliminary results is, as I've indicated, the criminal justice system is just that, a system. Uh, it appears that uh, the judicial district, if you compare Denver's judicial district, the district attorney's office, the second judicial district versus the fourth, the fourth judicial district, the district attorney in Colorado Springs, El Paso County and, and uh, Taylor County there uh, seem to really uh, take a, a, a very uh, strong approach towards dealing with crime. They take a victim-centric approach. Uh, they want to uh, reduce uh, crime by holding the individuals accountable for their criminal behavior. And uh, one example of this is both departments, both Denver and Colorado Springs, have very high clearance rates, uh, particularly with regards to murder or homicide. Across the country, major cities uh, are often struggling around 50% solve rate. Uh, Denver's got an 80% solve rate, which is above Colorado's average. Colorado Springs has a 73% solve rate, which is above Colorado's average. Those are both uh, indicators that their departments are doing really good addressing these crimes. Now, uh, what the preliminary report shows, and there's going to be follow-up on this uh, to study, is that uh, the 4th Judicial District is filing 94.8% of uh, the criminal cases, meaning if the department is going to go through that trouble, if the Colorado Springs Police Department is going to go through the trouble of solving a case, sure is nice that their prosecutor's office are filing those cases. The early data shows that... Uh, uh, that's not happening to that extent in the second judicial district. So more to come uh, on this, but it really points out uh, some differences in attitudes and approaches. And if other components of the criminal justice system are doing their part, prosecuting the cases or, uh, you know, the court's side of things, then you can have uh, dramatically different outcomes. And we are having different outcomes in the two jurisdictions. Well, you, you've touched on the, the district attorneys and uh, how about uh, the, their success uh, in Colorado Springs when they bring a case before the judges um, and uh, versus possibly uh, here in, in the uh, Judicial District 2, uh, Denver, uh, when they go before the judges in Denver. Is there any difference between the... Uh, the, how the judges may rule on, uh, and I know it's, there's similar, you want to look at similar cases, but can you draw any conclusions about the judicial system, uh, outside of what the DAs are doing? Uh, again, uh, this is why I'm so excited to, to be uh, a fellow, the public safety fellow for the Common Sense Institute. It's very difficult to get court data, to get outcome data, but uh, future reports are really going to identify what these issues are. Uh, I'm proud to, to be one of uh, many uh, fellows that look at these issues, but uh, we have two incredible fellows that uh, were former district attorneys that can really dig into this. And 
I'm excited to see what that looks like uh, moving forward. But uh, as we're seeing that uh, one jurisdiction appears to take these cases very serious, appears to put victims first in these cases, and another jurisdiction is taking uh, a much different approach. And crime is up in the, the area that uh, the seriousness isn't as uh, focused on the victims, and uh, crime is down in the area with a 94%, uh, 94.8% filing rate. That is great. Uh, the Fourth Judicial District deserves a ton of credit for taking on that hard work. Um, and then, you know, actually, I'm just going to sneak this in real quickly. It also appears that the Fourth is doing this in a more effective and efficient way. Their budget is uh, much lower than that of the second. So it appears that they're doing more with less and being far more effective, uh, which is something that I think other folks can learn from. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I do want to, I want to press a little bit about this tale of two cities. And uh, uh, when I think of Colorado Springs, I think of the military, I think of a huge retirement community, I think of um, a, you know, a city that is focused on the military and tourism. And I just have to wonder, is the composition of the uh, populace of Colorado Springs uh, contributing to the success of the police department in Colorado Springs versus the uh, composition of the population of, of Denver, which uh, I oftentimes see it as more youthful not as re, not as many people that are a part of the retirement community, uh, and uh, and and possibly uh, more migrant oriented than maybe Colorado Springs, um, or am I just fishing for a difference that's not there? Uh, Earl, uh, you're you're fishing, and I think you're in the right area. Um, a couple of things. A good friend of mine often states that uh, you are what you tolerate. And, uh, you know, if you have a constituency that has that, that military background, you have four military bases uh, down there. Uh, really, a lot of those folks uh, that both served in the military or family members see the value and the importance of keeping uh, what the military does, keeping our country safe. And there are, uh, you know, some of those attitudes and approaches that, that I believe uh, come from that uh, mindset with, with having a, a, a big uh, military, current and, and former military members that are part of that constituency. And I think that that's reflected in prioritizing the budget. Um, you also uh, need to look at, at what the, the leadership looks like in uh, the city. And uh, for, for many years, uh, just recently, uh, somebody that uh, was term limited out was the former attorney general of Colorado serving as the mayor of Colorado Springs. And so uh, really that shows uh, you know, somebody that prioritizes victims in crimes and wants to take these types of, of uh, issues seriously at the very top, uh, just as the, the district attorney, Michael Allen, in the 4th Judicial District do. And so uh, attitudes and approaches can, uh, I believe, uh, have an impact on this. And uh, I think that much of this, uh, you know, is, is based on that constituency, something that uh, you bring up there, that uh, 
can and likely has a, an impact on this as well. Chief, I don't want to just focus exclusively on the components of the system. I'd like to also talk about outcomes, more of that if we could. Chief, in your report, you speak at length about the various positive impacts that a successful police force, public safety system can take for a local community or city. You eloquently just talked about leadership with regards to Colorado Springs, and I appreciate that. What are some of these benefits that uh, and positive impacts of the successful police force and and public safety system? What are the benefits we're talking about if we have that? You know, first and foremost, uh, safety is foundational, and the people of a community, the people of a country, deserve to be safe. Uh, they will not uh, go out and, and utilize those amenities if they don't feel comfortable going themselves or taking their family to these things that uh, are, are part of a high quality of life or the vibrancy of a, a particular community. Now, law enforcement can play a very significant and important role there, both uh, in strengthening that relationship with their community. If you have enough uh, police officers, you can prevent the crime from occurring in the first place. And that's what uh, future studies, our, our next report, uh, which will be out in a, in a few months, really talk talks about the solutions. It looks at what has worked in our country in years past, what lessons uh, have, have been learned on how we can do this in a fairer and more just way. Also looking at uh, what some other countries across the globe are doing, because I contend that we can have uh, lower crime rates and higher quality of life and uh, we can reduce prison population and we can do it for about the same amount of money uh, that we're spending now. And so the, the next report will really focus on the solution. So I'm very excited to talk about uh, that issue or, or the solutions in future reports. But uh, when, when we're talking about uh, building those relationships, if you don't have enough officers, if all they're doing is going 911 call to 911 call, they're uh, spending very little time trying to prevent crime. They don't have enough time to interact with the community and, and build relationships. And that's a disservice all the way around. Uh, it, it hurts uh, certainly on the public safety side of things, but it also hurts in uh, building future uh, police officers or future members of, of law enforcement. If you're so busy that you don't get uh, to interact with your community because you have high priority calls waiting uh, for response, it makes it very difficult for future uh, recruitment uh, for enhancing that relationship and, and making sure that uh, officers are reflective of their community, that they hear what their community wants and needs. And uh, that's an area that I believe uh, we can learn from and, and improve upon for the entire state. You mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation that the cost uh, to our state of 30, uh, $30 billion. And it seems to me that uh, there's a whole lot that we can gain by having an affected police force within the state, not just Denver, Colorado Springs. Uh, what are some of the recommendations uh, that you're thinking about uh, that would help communities and uh, our, our elected leaders ought to be thinking uh, of implementing? Can you share some of those with us? Uh, I will, and I'm going to be brief on it because, again, that's the whole focus of, of the follow-up uh, report here. But, uh, you know, we talked about the tale of two cities, and, and it 
appears that there's a different attitude and approaches. And part of the attitude and approach is support, uh, whether that's financial support and actually having a growing police department serve a growing community. Um, or we talk about uh, the support on, on the back end uh, of this. And, and we're going to go into far more detail in uh, the second report uh, with regards to the, the solutions here. But um, we need elected officials to actually support law enforcement. Uh, the, the women and men that go out and put their lives on the line, that uh, put others above self, uh, deserve support. And if you have uh, city council members, four of which in, in Denver talked about defund, abolish, or decenter, or you have state legislators who are self-described abolitionists and, and do not support uh, having law enforcement do the, the very difficult work that they are, it's going to be very difficult for you to recruit and to retain folks in law enforcement. And for several years, uh, we certainly have, have demonstrated at that uh, highest level of uh, elected officials that um, there, there's not that uh, outward support for the people that keep our community safe. And uh, these are mothers and fathers. These are brothers and sisters. These are your friends and neighbors that do this very uh, difficult but very noble work in keeping our community safe. And so we certainly need uh, elected leaders at the highest level to say, you know, we, we do support law enforcement. Uh, we want to make sure that they have the tools, the equipment, and the support necessary in order to keep our community safe. I, I have a, just a kind of a wild question here relative to your experience uh, on the force and then uh, obviously coming up through the ranks and become chief of uh, police in Denver. For the police officer uh, that's on the beat, that's out there day to day, what would they like to see from the community? Uh, me as an average citizen, uh, uh, people listening to this podcast as average citizens, what would they like to see from us so that they could be even more effective and, um, and get better results for our community? Uh, Earl, actually, that's a an, an excellent question. And, and I'm going to use the word support, but let me kind of dive into what support actually means. So, uh, you know, people, they, they will not choose to work in an environment where they don't feel appreciated or supported, right? And it doesn't matter what that line of work is. If they uh, are, are doing a job and they don't feel valued, they don't feel appreciated, they don't feel supported, then often they will choose to uh, move on and move on to uh, a different job or a different profession. Um, when you have folks that have so very publicly talked about uh, defunding, abolish, decentering, uh, highlighted uh, every time that an officer does something wrong, either locally or across the country to uh, justify or advance their agenda, that's very problematic. How, how would somebody feel supported? particularly if it's elected leaders that have uh, agency over uh, the officers or the department. They have agency over the department by uh, approving or uh, not properly staffing and, and budgeting for 
for that particular department. So uh, support means uh, a lot to, to all of us, uh, to all of us that uh, uh, do work out there. Um, and, and it's very important that uh, that support is something that, that folks uh, see and feel in any and all professions, and particularly in uh, the folks that have this uh, difficult and dangerous, but yet very important uh, job of, of being uh, peacemakers in our community. Chief, I want to thank you so much for, you know, taking the time, writing the report, uh, being the guest on today's podcast. Um, I'm looking forward to the next report. I'm sure I'm expressing this for many people on the podcast. Your years of service and the innovation and initiatives that you took to improve the overall public safety for our, our city appreciated against some very difficult odds. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Earl, thank you. Thanks for the kind words. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.